And good morning, church. How are we doing? We doing all right? All right. Well, good to see all of y'all. It's turning a little bit chilly, so uh, fall is in the air. Some of you love that. It's always, it's a sad time of year for me because I'm just like, it just means winter's around the corner. And it's like, I know people just love fall and the pumpkins and all that stuff, but I'm just like, it's getting darker earlier and colder. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just missing, missing the summertime already. But anyway, we're here. God is good. We're continuing a series in the book of Philippians called Life Built on the Gospel. Um, and today we're talking about knowing Christ. And when I say knowing Christ, what I don't mean is knowing about Christ. And I don't mean knowing things in the Bible. We're talking about knowing Christ himself, knowing Christ personally, a personal relationship, the way you know a friend, the way you know somebody that is close to you. In the, in the New Testament, the phrase knowing Christ or knowing him, uh, that, that refers to conversion. It's, it's, a, it's a synonymous with being a Christian. To say you know Christ means that you're a Christian. So to know Christ is to be a Christian according to the New Testament. So how do we know Christ then? How, that's the question. What does it mean to know Christ? That's what we're digging into today. So grab your Bible, Philippians chapter 1, uh, rather Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at 11 verses today. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, let's read God's word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's pause here. The big issue on Paul's mind is the difference between the religion of his upbringing and truly knowing Christ. Paul's Jewish upbringing taught him that he belonged to God and belonged to God's people based on external factors, right? So he was born into a Jewish family. He was circumcised properly according to the tradition of the scripture. He was trained as a Pharisee. He rigidly followed the stipulations of the Old Testament law. I mean, he, he did all the things that you would do to be included in the people of God and to be accepted to God. And those things are important. Right? There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are very important. And they were important in Paul's time because of the covenant that, uh, that God had made with Israel. The nation of Israel was marked out by God as belonging to God through the, the rite of circumcision. So that set them apart as, as the people that belong to God. So in the Old Testament times before Christ, in the Old Testament times, the locus of belonging always centered on the nation of Israel, identified by circumcision. 
But even then, as we saw in the Genesis series, but even then, God's end game was global, right? I mean, God wanted people from all over the world, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to be included in his people. But before Christ came, that locus of belonging was in the nation of Israel. So then we get to the New Testament time. Jesus has come. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all of those covenant requirements that were given to the Jewish people that they failed to fulfill. And so now that Christ has come, the locus of belonging is not the nation of Israel. The locus of belonging is the church. Those who have faith in Jesus, who have access to God directly through faith in Jesus Christ. So the locus of belonging shifted. It's, it's, we, we, we no longer have to become Jewish in order to get access to God on the basis of the covenant. We now have direct access to God through faith in Jesus, who is the true Israel, who is the fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be. So Jesus essentially kicked the door wide open for everyone and anyone to be reconciled to God, to belong to God directly through faith in Christ. So therefore, all of the blessings and the promises of the Old Testament covenant that were originally given to Israel are now, now belong to the people of God through the church. In the, in the church, the, all those covenant blessings and promises apply to us. They're ours. So now that Christ has come, every man or woman can be forgiven and cleansed and transformed through faith in Jesus. It's all directly through Jesus. So there's nothing within us there's nothing in our power, nothing we can do personally to improve our standing before God. We're sinful. We're, we're fallen. But, but we, we can be made right with God by the free gift of his grace. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel. The cross is the equalizer. In the old covenant, God's people was focused on Israel. They, there, was a, there was a covenant that God set them out. And if anybody else wanted to have access to God, they had to first become Jewish. But in the cross, it's an equalizer to where everybody has access to God on the same basis, which is faith in Christ directly. So the cross humbles us and it exalts Jesus. So no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, we all come to God poor, sinful, weak, rebellious. We come to God begging for grace and mercy, which he generously provides for us on the basis of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I was talking to Eric Tuff and Sam, um, one of our pastors here. He was telling me about this guy that he was sharing Christ with, this guy that uh, he met him at the bus stop with his kids, because I guess that's where Eric does evangelism. Um, and this guy is a Muslim. So Eric was sharing the gospel with his Muslim neighbor waiting on the bus with the kids. And uh, you know, this guy said to Eric, he said, well, you know, I think all religions are basically the same. And Eric said, yeah, I agree with that. I agree that all religions basically teach the same thing. They all teach that our standing before God is based on how you live, and it's like climbing a ladder with God at the top, and living a good life is how you reach the top. And the Muslim guy's like, yes, that's it. That's exactly what I believe. And Eric said, great, except for Christianity. Christianity is different than that. Christianity actually teaches the exact opposite of that. So the Muslim guy, he's intrigued, and he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, Christianity teaches that God is perfectly holy, and that we're sinful and rebellious, 
And so we can't reach the top of the ladder on our own. We can't climb that high. We can't get there on our own. So therefore, God has to come down the ladder to us. He became a human himself, and that's how he came down to the ladder. And he did this to rescue us. And so God's appearance, appearance as a man, we know him as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God who, became, who came down the ladder and became one of us. And he lived a life of perfection. He was humble and he was surrendered completely in obedience to the will of the Father. And even in the Gospels, Jesus is described as a ladder with angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's what it says in the Gospels. So Jesus died as a righteous man, unjustly condemned, raised from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he will come again. And when he, when he returns, he will judge the world and bring in the fullness of the kingdom of God. Well, the Muslim guy was like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I'd like to hear more about it. And so Eric and I have been praying for this guy. You can pray for this guy. Uh, pray for this guy to know Jesus, that, that he will believe the gospel. But what he had in his mind was this idea that we get to God by climbing to the top of the ladder, by living a good life, by being obedient, and by, by following through with whatever the particulars of our religious tradition are. If we keep them good enough, then we'll reach the top. And that's not true. Now, in verse 2, Paul's got some sharp words because in contrast to all the things I've just been talking about, the truth of the gospel... You have some people that oppose that idea. Paul calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. He calls them uh, mutilators of the flesh. So who are these guys? Well, they are the Judaizers. The Judaizers, these, these guys, they're a group of Jewish leaders, and they insisted, so they, they would call themselves Christian, but they would say that you can't be a true Christian unless you are circumcised. Meaning that, well, you basically take the Jewish faith, and you add Jesus to the end of it as sort of an exclamation point, but everything prior to still is in effect. And so, so the Judaizers would, would say, it's like, well, you, all, you still have to become ethnically Jewish in order to have access to God. You have to come and assimilate into our nation in order to be part of God's people. So to be a true Christian, you had to be circumcised. And Paul's point is that if you do that, then you're saying essentially is that you're putting confidence in the flesh. You're saying that, that a, 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 a surgical act on the, on the flesh is what is, is a necessary condition of being acceptable to God. And Paul says, like, we don't have confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh is antithetical to the gospel. If we are confident in the flesh, we're negating the gospel. So it undermines and devalues the work of Christ because salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus. Jesus completed it. Jesus fulfilled all of it. So all of those uh, uh, prior requirements of the Old Testament covenant are obsolete. They don't, uh, they don't, uh, the external markers don't apply anymore. So you notice there in verse 3, Paul says, we are the circumcision. He's talking to a mixed, a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, like, you could be a Gentile who's uncircumcised, but through faith in Christ, we are the circumcision. Meaning that the, the, the obedience of Christ now applies to us. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So whenever you become a Christian, you are forsaking any claim 
of God accepting you based on anything intrinsic in you. There isn't anything about you that can make you acceptable to God. You're forsaking all of those things. When you become a Christian, you are telling God, I have nothing. I am nothing. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It is not about me. So now in the New, in the New Testament times, what's the value of circumcision? Nothing. It has no, no more spiritual value than having your ears pierced. Literally, it, it means nothing. So here's uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 19. I'll, I'll read you several of these. Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Galatians 6, 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Galatians 5.2, Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So you're saying if, if, if we start putting our confidence in external things, things about ourselves, then we're negating the gospel. We're saying, Jesus, you died for nothing. Jesus, your death was maybe a, a cherry on top, but it wasn't really the, the essence of God's redemptive plan. So the Judaizers were adding a requirement for salvation, and in so doing, they were, they were declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ insufficient. They said, Jesus, thanks for that, but you didn't do enough. I still, have to, I still have to do these other things before I'm even accepted to God. You negate the gospel in doing that. So if Jesus is enough, right? I mean, Jesus is enough. And if Jesus truly is enough, if Jesus truly came down that ladder to rescue us, then why would we want to add a requirement to it? Listen, Jesus is enough, right? Amen? Jesus is enough for us. In Jesus, you're okay. We're okay in Christ. He's everything you need. And if you add to the gospel, you negate it. A few weeks ago, we did an outreach up at UC campus. Where it was after the worship night. You know, some of you all may remember whenever we did that. Um, so we just went up on campus and wandered around and uh, strike up conversations with people and um, hopefully find a way to talk to him about Jesus. It was kind of awkward, but it was good. <laughs> um, so Anthony Sudo and I, we went together. We paired up, and uh, we, we ended up talking to this one guy. Uh, it's like you try to find somebody sitting alone on their phone. So it's like, okay, he's not going anywhere. He's not studying for an exam or anything. He just kinda, he's just kind of hanging out, maybe a little bored. So we talked to this guy. Um, so we go, and we, 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 we you know, start strike up a conversation with him. And once we start talking about... Um, Christianity, talking about Jesus, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm already a Christian. And so we asked him, like, you know, tell me about that. Like, um, how, did you, how did you know Jesus? He said, well, you know, I, I was baptized as a Catholic, and my whole family's Catholic, so I'm good. I'm good to go. Thanks. Appreciate it. But the more we talked to him about it, we asked him a few questions, and, and uh, it, it was very evident that 
he had done these external things. He had this family, this, this uh, sense of identity and belonging from his family that based on their, their, uh, their uh, belonging to the Catholic Church, then he's like, well, that means I'm in too. That means like, I'm good with God. But it was, it was clear that he didn't actually know Christ. And that's the difference. He didn't actually know Christ. So he was participating in a religion. And essentially, that's putting confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh, literally. It's like, because my flesh, my body came from these parents, these grandparents, and they, they practiced this religion, and I, and I was baptized, and I, I, went, I went, participated in these rituals, therefore, I'm good. I'm good, man. But he clearly didn't know Jesus. So he... He was, he was putting confidence in the flesh, and in so doing, he had, he had pushed Christ aside. He didn't know Jesus. Here's the thing. Being raised in a Christian home, attending church, owning a Bible, even getting baptized, those are good things. Hear me on this. Those are good things. Praise God for those things. But those things are not what make you a Christian. Those are things that that are, can be true of your life um, that point you to Jesus or can happen in your life as a result of you knowing Jesus. But those things, these activities are not the same as knowing Jesus. If your mom and dad are Christians, if your grandma and grandpa are Christians, that doesn't make you a Christian. That's confidence in the flesh. If somebody thinks they're a Christian because his or her family is Christian, that's literally putting confidence in the flesh. So let me just say this bluntly. There are going to be nice people that you would like who will spend eternity separated from God in hell, who were raised in Christian homes, who attended church, who owned a Bible, who maybe even were baptized. But those religious activities in their minds was confidence in the flesh and they didn't actually know Jesus. That's the concern. Listen, knowing Christ is personal. Knowing Christ is, is not the same as the things that you do. And that's not to say that we shouldn't do those things or those things are bad. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that those things should not be confused in our minds with knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the thing. That's, that's what it means to, to, have a, to be in fellowship with God, to be saved, to be a Christian, is to know Christ. And you can do those things and not actually know Christ. So knowing Jesus is personal. It's a faith commitment. It's, it's giving your heart to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I have nothing to add. I have nothing to contribute. Save me, change me, make me who you want me to be, but it's, it's all about what you do in me. And Paul says that knowing Christ in that way is more important than anything else in all the world. Now let's keep looking. Let's look at an internal transformation. If we pick up what Paul says here in verse 7, Listen to this. But whatever gain I had, 
I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that is given to me, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I receive as an act of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, think about what he said there in verse 7. He said, whatever gain I had, so the three words, gain, count, and loss. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. He's using math words. Math words here. Mark Hutchinson, pay attention. You're a math guy. He says that a lot. So um, imagine this. Imagine you've got this spiritual Excel spreadsheet, okay? Microsoft Excel, Google Docs, doesn't matter. Google Sheets. It's a spiritual spreadsheet. And on this spreadsheet, you've got a gain column, and then you've got a loss column, and then at the bottom, you've got where, the, where the, the, the numbers are tabulated. And so there's a formula that it works. And so you have, uh, you have your gain column, loss column, and then the results at the bottom. So before Paul knew Christ, before Paul knew Christ, his whole religious life was in the gain column, right? Because he was confident in the flesh. Confident. I know this is good. These are gain for me. Circumcised on the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, righteousness under the law, persecutor of the church, which means he was really zealous for it. I mean, like all of these things, gain column. Jesus, who's that? I hate that guy. That guy's ruining the Jewish faith. He's in the lost column, and I want to persecute and kill whoever I can that's following him and try to rid the world of the name of Jesus. Gain and loss. And that was his accounting. Then Jesus comes along. Verse 7 says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So Jesus got hold of Paul's life, upended everything, turned everything inside out and upside down, reoriented his whole system of values. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit opened up Paul's spiritual spreadsheet, and in that that little cell where you type in the equation of like what kind of result you get at the bottom, the Holy Spirit changed it. And so what's in the loss column and the gain column, I want to flip them around to where I'm going to completely transform his value system. So then his gains and his losses are reversed. So whatever gain I had, I counted. That's, that's math, right? That's accounting. That's, that's a way that you regard it. I counted his loss. Now, he's not saying that his religious upbringing is worthless. He's not saying that actually has no value. He's saying that he counts it as worthless. It's it's what value he invests in those experiences. So he counts those religious upbringings as, as, 
as worthless compared to the far greater treasure of truly knowing Christ. We, we talked about this in Philippians chapter 2, whenever Paul said, do not, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, even though Jesus and the Father are equal, right? But he didn't consider that a thing to be grasped, but he, he uh, counted, or he emptied himself, and he, he, he counted himself as nothing, right? So he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It was, it was something that he was not negate, Paul's not negating the equal value or the equal uh, persons of the Father and Son, but he's saying Jesus did not count that a thing to be grasped. Same thing with, with the way we regard one another. I mean, we're, we're equal. We're equal in our sin. We're equal in our value. We're all paid for in the blood of Jesus. But the way that we act toward one another is based on the example of Jesus and his humility where we, we, we count your neighbor as more significant than yourself. It's not that the neighbor becomes more significant, but rather the neighbor is counted more significant. You're, you're following something. It's the same word here. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss. So the surpassing worth of knowing Christ far outweighs anything else that we might value. Anything else that we might find value in or belonging in. When compared, anything in your life, if you compare it to the value of knowing Christ, everything else is rubbish. Trash, dung, garbage. It is, it is worthless. It has no value when you compare it to the value of knowing Jesus, of, of the worth of having a personal connection to God. What could be more valuable than that? Jesus said this, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you see what Paul is saying here? See what Jesus is saying here? The value of knowing Christ is, it far surpasses anything else, any other value. What, what could possibly compare to knowing Jesus? Verse 8, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen. Jesus is the greater treasure. Jesus is the greater reward. Jesus is the greater and more lasting joy. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 13 and what Paul is saying in Philippians 3, they're not saying that Jesus is the only thing that has any value. What they're saying is that Jesus is the one that is supremely valuable. And by comparison, everything else is far lesser. So Christ is the standard of what is valuable. Christ is the measure of worth. Knowing Christ is the greatest privilege we can possibly have. 
So if you know Christ, if you know Christ, but you don't have anything else, then you are already richer than the richest pagan on earth. And if you truly know Christ, then the supreme value of Christ should be reflected in every aspect of your life. Let's say you have a personal assistant. The personal assistant does your scheduling. He or she knows everything about what you're doing every minute of every day. So take a month, look at the schedule. Would your assistant conclude by looking at how you spend your time, would they see that you supremely value Christ above everything else? Suppose you have an accountant that knows all your finances. Would your accountant look at your numbers and conclude that Christ is your highest treasure? Suppose you got a printed transcript of every text message that you sent over this past month. And somebody were to read it, would they conclude that Christ is the supreme value and treasure in your life? Suppose you had to share your internet browsing history with the person sitting directly in front of you over the last month. Or if the chair is empty, then just go a few, a few rows up. If you're on the front, just give it to me. <laughs> Would we look at your browsing history, your Netflix queue, Amazon Prime queue, Hulu queue, whatever, Disney Plus? Would we see that Christ is supremely valuable in your life? Now, I put myself under the microscope, and while I was writing these out, I was like, man, I don't want to say that because I don't do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. But we don't value Jesus according to his true worth, do we? That's why we need his grace and why we should never put any confidence in the flesh. Why would we? Why would we say, Jesus, I'll, you know, uh, thanks for the, the, the help, but you take that plus my, my time, my bank account, uh, my internet browsing history, we'll take all that and add it to what you did, and now I'll really, that'll really push me over the top. Of course not. We think of these things, all of these tangible evidences that we don't value Christ the way we should. I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I've got nothing to offer. I can't add the slightest shred of righteousness to what you have accomplished for me and that I receive not on my own doing, but I receive it from you by faith. Praise God. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has done. Nothing is better than Jesus. Christ is supreme. The, the, the treasure of knowing him, receiving his righteousness is better than anything else. It's better than any other pleasure or value or good. And if Jesus is Lord over all of life, and he is, we say he is, it's part of our mission statement, then everything that we do finds its value and its gain relative to the value of Jesus. So as we wrap it up this morning, I want to invite you. I want to invite anybody who doesn't know Jesus to get to know him right now. And I want, I want you to listen to something. I want to, I want to read to you John 10, 14. 
These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Simple words, but think of how striking it is that that's the way Jesus talks about his people. Jesus would say, I'm the good shepherd. I know Andrea. Andrea knows me. I know Rachel. Rachel knows me. I know Craig. Craig knows me. I know Andrew. Andrew knows me. I know Jason. Jason knows me. I know Cody. Cody knows me. And Jesus doesn't say that about every human being that's alive. Jesus says that about his people. They're his. That's the value of knowing Christ. This is the first year my son Owen played football. Seventh grade, never played before. So he had a bit of catching up to do. Most of the season, it's over now, most of the season he stood on the sidelines and watched the other kids play and he would, he'd get in for a snap or two and look totally lost. <laughs> Not really know what he was doing. But as the, as the season went on, he would get more playing time and um, ended up going undefeated, his team. And the last game of the season... Um, was a breakout game for him. Uh, Had a a great game. So he had been playing defensive tackle, but then they moved him to defensive end. And uh, he was just, he was able to to break through the line uh, a ton. So he's getting after the ball, getting some tackles. And uh, then he had this moment where he sacked the quarterback. And if you don't know football, that's a pretty big deal. That's That's a cool thing to do, to sack the quarterback, you know. So he sacked the quarterback, and the parents behind me, I, I was there, like, it was in Dayton, so I was there at the game, just, just me by myself, and, but I could hear the parents behind me, like, whoa, who's that kid? And uh, then a couple plays later, he sacked the quarterback a second time. <laughs> yeah? All right? All right? Mike Brown, uh, be ready. Draft, okay? So, uh, so I, I, then the, the other team, they're like, hey, this kid is getting to us, so let's, let's start running the ball the other direction. So they moved, they moved the, the, running, the running game to the other side. So the coach for our team moved Owen to the other side. He sacked the quarterback a third time. <laughs> Crushing it! <laughs> I smiled a little bit. <laughs> I was glad to see that. That, that, that. One of the dads behind me is like, that kid is next level. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> it was funny because this, this guy, it was an away game, but at the home games, the guy that said that is the announcer. And so he like had nicknames for all the kids and Owen didn't have a nickname yet. And so Owen finally got his nickname. He's Owen Next Level, Clary, you know, <laughs> at, at that game. And then one of the other dads, he was sitting behind me. He's like, a star is born. And I was just, I was getting so excited. He ended up sacking the quarterback four times in that game not to mention other tackles that he got in other plays. And so the dads behind me, they're like, who's number 60? Who is this kid, this kid that we've never seen before? And I turned around, I'm like, that's my boy. That's my kid. I know that kid. You see where I'm going with this. That's my kid. So proud of him. 
They stood. The music was dramatic. Credits were rolling. It was a slow clap. <laughs> Kidding. But it was, it was a sweet moment. So that's what it's like to know Jesus. That, that you are noticed and you stand out. And Jesus is not ashamed to call your name and say, I know that one. That one's mine. That's my son. That's my daughter. I know him. I know her. He's talking about us. I know my own and they know me. Jesus, Jesus would talk about you that way. I know you. I see you. You matter to me. Now, I love my son not because he got four sacks that day, right? I love my son because I know him. He's mine. He's my kid. And I knew what he was thinking and feeling. I know him well enough to know his body language. When he's on the sidelines, disappointed that he's not getting to play. I know him because he's mine. And I'd love him the same no matter what he did on the field. If he went out on the field and fumbled and the other, scored, the other team scored a winning touchdown on that play, I would love him the same because I love him because he's mine, not because of his performance. That's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about the externals. And it's not like the externals don't matter. But it's not the externals that's the basis of knowing Christ. We know Christ because of what he did for us. And if my son started to feel as though he had to perform for my affection, that would be an insult to my character. Because I don't love him for that reason. In Christ, we have something far better. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who created you, would call out your name and say, I know him and I know her. And if you don't know Jesus, I would invite you to get to know him now. You do that by confessing your sin, saying, I've got nothing to offer, nothing to add. Believing the gospel, which means you believe that it is his work, his death, burial, resurrection. It is his accomplished work that is the basis of that relationship. And you say, I'm yours. I know you. And you commit to following him with your life. It's that simple. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can know you in this powerful way. That knowing you is not just about the facts. Knowing you is not just about having Bible trivia floating around in our minds. But knowing you is a relationship. Lord Jesus, we, we cannot even begin to calculate what that's worth. It would fry our computers to put that in the spreadsheet. There's just no comparison. And we thank you that that's the truth that we believe. Because that's the truth that is. 
So our Lord, thank you that you know us and that we have the privilege of knowing you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know you in this way. Holy Spirit, pray that you will change the formula in their spreadsheet so that they will see the value of knowing Christ. I pray that you will change their heart, help them to see the beauty, the magnificence of knowing Jesus. And if that's you this morning, pray this silently in your head. Pray this with me. Lord, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I've sinned against you in ways that I know about and in ways that I don't know about. I confess it to you. Lord Jesus, I believe that you will make me righteous and that your perfect life applies to me when I believe it. Forgive my sin. Make me clean and pure. Make me righteous because of what you have done. Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. Show me how you want me to live. Help me to connect with other Christians who can lead me in this life. If you prayed that, please let us know. Fill out a connect card on the paper. Fill out a connect card using your phone. Talk to someone with a name tag. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to me. Please let us know. We can follow up with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.